Amen. Okay, so I get to introduce a couple of the teens who are going to be sharing briefly. Let's put that right here. So AJ is uh, one of the leaders of the youth group. I know he seems like he's in his young 20s based on his maturity level and intelligence. He's actually only 18, is that right? 18, 19, 18, amazing. So AJ is going to share briefly about um, what God has done for him in recent days. And right after AJ, Rebecca, who I don't know how old Rebecca 14 is going to be coming up and sharing for a couple of minutes. Rebecca was the star of both plays. So we owe her a lot. So let's clap for AJ and then Rebecca. Come on up here, AJ. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is AJ. Oh, yeah, I got to be up here. I forgot. It's the big service today. All righty, so our giving records for 2022 will be mailed or emailed to us January 31st. That's exciting. Nothing like a good financial statement to brighten your day. Unless you want stock right now, but I'm not going to go there. Uh, there's going to be a multi-church celebration of the overthrow of Roe versus Wade next Sunday at First Baptist. Yep, let's get a round of applause for that. Uh, the whole body of Christ is united in celebrating a decision that many said would never happen or would take a miracle to happen. It did happen, thankfully, and we are grateful for every baby whose life is saved as a result because each baby is God's miracle. Uh, many well-known leaders will be sharing, including Perry Ak Atkinson and uh, Jackson County Commissioner Colleen Roberts. Uh, for more information, check out the flyers and poster at the welcome table. So, what's happening on January 29th? The NFL Championships games, you might say? Well, yes, but even more exciting, our annual business meeting. <laughs> That's right. This is your chance to hear about the vision God has given our leaders for 2023, as well as review New Song's budget for last year and expected budget for 2023. Uh, church business meetings are open to all formal members of our church, and if you have not yet become a member, applications are going to be available at the welcome table. And if you are a member and want to sign up, please RSVP by signing up at, well, the welcome table. Uh, I'd like to make an announcement. Please not be shoving anybody at said welcome table. Single file line. Let's keep it orderly. All right. Thank you, guys. Move right into my talk. All righty. Hi, I'm AJ. I'm, so I came here to this church about, darn, I came here probably... Around, not May. Was it around May? Yeah, April, May. April or May. Uh, first time at this church was the Easter play, which was interesting. <laughs> Sean's acting skills were impeccable. Um, and I came to church, and at the time I was coming to this church to impress a girl, uh, which I know, right? Well, I'd, I was raised in the church. I was raised in the church, but she came to this one, so I was like, oh, yeah, I'll come to this one. It's charismatic, because I was raised Presbyterian. So our, wor our, our worship was right here, nonstop. So I came to this church for a while, and I fell in love with it instantly. It was a little weird. It took some things to get used to, like the flags. That was different. And for a little bit, I was like, why are they waving flags? And now when I see them waving flags, just like, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and I love it. Um, so I fell in love with this church, uh, but that was kind of short-lived because I found out that we were moving to South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, which was amazing, and I loved it, but it was 
not amazing. I didn't love it. It was hot all the time. I didn't have my people there. And the second I got there, I felt conflicted. Originally, when I was here before I left, I felt like I told my parents, I said, hey, I need to be here. And my dad was surprisingly cool. He said, okay. He said, I can let you stay. He said, but you need to see it first. You need to see it, which seems fair. It's not, I can't judge the place. And like, none of us have even been there. So I said, okay. I was heartbroken. But the second we'd, we had the date we were leaving, I knew I was going to come back. Because I felt like Jesus needed me here. I feel like one of the reasons God wanted me here is for Tiffany. Oh, I know. So I got to South Carolina. Every single time I go to church in South Carolina, I felt conflicted. I felt they would, like, every single service was like, hey, you know what you need to do. You know what you need to do. This adventure awaits you. And I'm like, please stop talking. It was stressful. So I spent the entire time there trying to avoid what I couldn't avoid. Because apparently I can't avoid Jesus Christ, which kind of stinks, but it is what it is. Um, so eventually I, God kind of, he's been hitting me the whole time, but there was one time I was in my bedroom, the sun, the sunsets in South Carolina were amazing. It was kind of going down. I said, God, I said, if you need me to go, I was sobbing my eyes out. I said, if you need me to go home, if you need me to go back there, let me know. The sun got bright and I felt like a spiritual hug. Like, yeah, it was amazing. I felt you know, we're always seen by God, and we know that. But then when you really feel like he's there and he's with you, like worship right then, and you can really feel like he's there and he's with you and he's loving you. And it was like this. Com- it was like a really comfortable, come on, let's go, pack your bags, we're going back to Oregon. So I left. I told my parents on a Friday night, and I left that next Saturday. When I got here, one of the things I was thinking about on the plane was I get to come back to New Song. Because you guys, as crazy as you all are, which I love it, it's so exciting, right? It's so non-judgmental, right? At the other church, I'd go wearing essentially exactly what I'm wearing right now, and they would get mad at, they would not get mad at me, but they'd give me the little dirty looks, you know? But you guys are so welcoming. In the prayer room's that I've experienced such amazing things in just everything. I think it's so cool how every single Sunday the Holy Spirit is here and he's alive in every single one of you. Every single one of you. It's the greatest thing to see. So I moved back here. Uh, and the thing with Tiffany kind of worked out. I married her yesterday. Uh, Yeah, nothing says honeymoon like Sunday service. <laughs> but every step along the way, I feel like you guys have been one that I've kind of been like, you guys have been there, even though, like, I, you know, I don't really say much. I'm not very outgoing. Hey, how you doing? You know, but you guys are there, and it's just the community and the fellowship that I've fallen so in love with. It's amazing to see God working you guys every Sunday. It's amazing to leave church feeling loved. And just treated like I'm everyone else. One of his disciples. Thank you, guys. Great job, AJ. We love you, too. All right, Rebecca, two minutes. We can't wait to hear what you say. Hey, so as you know, I'm Rebecca. But um, 
So mostly what I'm going to be talking about here of, like, why I believe in God and why he's, like, I'm, like, with him so much. Oh. <laughs> why I'm with him so much. And so he always was, I may not have felt him mo most of the time, but he's always been, like, standing right next to me. It's like a shadow, but it's not, you can't see it. And he's always been there every second of my life, even though, even in my troubles, when I was falling down, deep, like, I was very beat down. And some days in my troubles, I would, I would always, there's always these thoughts that pop in my head that's always about how, like, so against God. But I always just, like, keep praying about it. And some days it would get better. <laughs> he was always sometimes I would always like feel him like when I was younger I would always feel like I was like cuddled up in a ball and I was hurt and I was broken in many places sometimes I'd feel this hug like AJ explained it was a very touching hug it really helped and um Um, so he was, so he was always the person that wasn't this, that was always there when I had no one else. I, I made some people standing next to me, but didn't understand what I was going through. But they were there. But God was always there in every second and in every part of what I was going through. And ever since. Ever since I got healed from that, I don't feel like the brokenness, the hurt, the pain that always hit me in every second of my life that I had. And ever since I started believing in God again, it's just like, it's full of joy, full of life that is unbelievable. He always works. Like, he works when you can't even see it. It's always the working that may you feel down. You may feel like he's not there, but he's always there. He's like, he's like, when you lose a thought, but he's, it's always still in there. Very proud of you, Rebecca. That was awesome. Right from the heart. You know, when Sean and Robin first came to our church two and a half years ago or so, they met with me to do a spiritual gifts test and ask how they can get involved in the church. And I thought, you know, we sort of have everything covered right now. Lord, you know, what should I, what should I tell them? So here we are two and a half years later. Sean is our youth pastor. He followed after the amazing job Alyssa did. And Sean, uh, Robin does worship leading. She's one of our worship leaders. And we just saw Tiffany up here. She's just led worship amazingly well. Jace does the projector awesomely when uh, Jeremiah and I can't do it. And I think they might be the most built-in family in the entire church. They do almost everything. And now it's hard to imagine how we ever got along without them. But Sean uh, has an amazing heart for the youth. 
the more I get to know him, the more I'm impressed I am with how he represents Jesus to them and brings Jesus into their lives. He's a great man of character. And Jesus has touched his life so much, and it comes out in everything he says and everything he does. So I can't recommend him enough to you as somebody who hears from the Lord and will have a great word for us tonight, today. So let's give a warm welcome to Sean Green. That's all right, David. I don't know if it's morning or night either, so... All right, so the first thing I want to point out is the youth. So this corner over here, and then spread out, these guys are more of a blessing than you can imagine. And if you know youth between 6th grade and 12, we don't really card them when they walk in, bring them. We're in that multi-purpose room every Thursday night from 7 to 8.30, causing chaos and having a blast. And I've been asked before, what's your limit for your youth group? And I, my response is one more. Whatever I got, I got room for one more. There's no limit. So if you guys know them, bring them. Now, God has been really doing some stuff with the youth, but also with me and everything that we're doing. And I have a question right now because I see a whole bunch of them. How many of us use our eyes? pretty sure everybody should be raising their hand right now. Your eyes take in what's around you. They look at everything there. They look at God's beauty. They look at nature. They may look at other people. And that stuff is good, but our eyes also take in the not so good. We see things through our eyes based on our feelings based on past experiences, good or bad. God really talks about the eyes. And so I want to take a look, and I'm going to be like weird and use a paper Bible. I know it's really strange. But we're going to look in Matthew, uh, verse 6, 23. And you guys have to bear with me. I did cheat and put sticky notes on everything, but I still got to look it up. So do we have that? Oh, okay. Last night was up there. My bad. Uh, so, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? So there's a Sunday school song, Be Careful Little Eyes, What You See. That's not just for little kids. That's for us. What you focus on is what you will see. And our eyes are connected to our heart. There's a poet or somebody who says the eyes are the window to the soul. I don't know, I could be totally off on that one. But your eyes are connected to your heart. And like I said, based on experiences, you may see something amazing or you may not. You may see that dog walking down the street and have a memory of a time a dog bit you and that dog is terrible and you hate it and you want it to go away. And the person next to you may have a memory of a dog that cuddled with them and loved them through a hard time, and they want to cuddle the dog. It's all clouded by what we've seen. But we got to be careful with those judgments. So there are many types of people in this world, and I'm going to turn around to looking more at people than at objects and dogs and stuff. But I want to put up the first picture 
really quick so we can throw up that picture. What do you guys see? Now, I'm going to be a little bit extreme and do not think I actually feel this way, but I'm going to say what people might see when we go through these pictures. So don't stone me until I'm off the stage. Do you see a homeless person? Maybe they're gross, dirty. They're in your way on your Starbucks cup. Trying to get into Starbucks, they're in your way. Maybe it was their fault. I bet they did it to themselves. We do that. Whether we intend to or not, we may. And this church is absolutely one of the most amazing churches I've ever seen for reaching the homeless. So don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying that at all. This church goes out and reaches more homeless than any church I've ever been a part of. But I'm curious. What does God see when he looks at him? So in Luke 16... 19 through 23. It's a little story. So there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels unto Abraham's house. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. So I'm pretty sure that a guy with sores was not staying at the Rogue Regency Inn, hanging out in the suite. Just can kind of gather that out of there. And the other dude had everything. He had his Gucci. He had his dunks. Yes, I have to make, I have to do those. I learned what dunks were yesterday. I got to be sure I get that in a sermon. If you don't know what it is, go see teens because I didn't know until yesterday. They got, he had his fancy chains. He had all his Calvin Klein. But what happened? He had his glory on earth and he had nothing afterwards. But the guy, Lazarus, got to hang out with Abraham because God had a plan. And guys, we may look at these people and see something, but God sees them too, and he loves every one of them. And he sees their heart, and he's looking at that, and he's focused on it. And there's deliverance from it. Now, let's go to the next person, next classification of people, however you want to put it. What do you see? Maybe somebody, I'm going to apologize now, so please, I don't mean, but maybe somebody's advanced in years. They're past their prime. They can't really go out and evangelize anymore, right? We may see that. Now, I'm going to flip it on the head like I do with every one of these. Let's look at how God sees them. So in Luke 2, 36 through 38. There's a pretty cool lady in here. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband 70 years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years 
which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So four score and four years, I'm, I could be wrong. It's about 64 years. So she's probably up in her 80s, 90s, somewhere in there. So a little bit advanced in years. I mean, I may feel that way on some mornings, but I'm not quite there. And God used her. God put her in the temple to pray over people, to bless people. And here's the coolest thing is God used her to bless his son. She got to bless Jesus Christ. So when we have that picture up, do you think that person can still do something? I mean, if God's grabbing to bless his son, pretty sure he's still using them. Now, this one I'm going to have a little bit of fun with. Let's put up the next picture. Some of you may know him. Yeah, this is Luke. I knew Pastor was going to get excited on that one. Now, let me be the not-so-nice guy about a young child. What are they going to do for God? Run around, make noise, step on your feet while they run by, be loud. We have to sit in church and give them stuff. Shh, be quiet, which I also love this church doesn't do. We don't tell the kids to stop talking and stuff. We just let them be. So, what is Luke 6, 7? What's he going to do for God? Why don't we take a look in the Bible and let's see what God thinks of those? So, we're going to go to 2 Chronicles 34, 1 and 2. I marked the wrong page, so bear with me. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Eight years old. Just took on a kingdom. So tell me that God isn't looking at the kids. Because he just took on an entire kingdom. What are some more things? I'm sure that some of you guys, and if you don't, this is a really, really cool story. So if you don't know Josiah's story, take some time to read it. Second Chronicles, amazing. This kid took away idols. He eliminated pagan practices and worship. He tore them down. He walked in, and in the words of some of my teens, he walked in and went gangsta on those. Now, I don't know too many eight-year-olds that are going to do that. And I know that I'm not, I have no problem talking for Jesus. Well, a little bit nervous this morning, but beyond that. But I'm not going to go walk into some pagan church and stand up on their stage and start tearing their stuff down and eliminating it and kicking it and sending people out. i just not really that brave. Eight years old. Turned around and did that. So guys, the next time you see a little kid run through this church, don't think, man, I wish his parents would watch him. Think, man, I wonder what he's going to do for God. Who's he going to light up? Now, I'm going to have some real fun with the next one. So let's go ahead and put up the next one. This is one that's truly after my heart. 
Look at that disrespectful. To, oh, wait. I should probably be careful since that's my kid. When you guys look at a teenager, and my teens are okay with this. They already knew I was going to pick on them. Most of them were here last night, so I can get away with this. What do you see when you look at a teen? Disrespect? Weird? Why do they got that weird thing sticking out of their ear, like, all the time, like it's a growth? They smell. They still do. What are they going to do for God? Now, Jack, your talk, your thing that you said this morning was unbelievable. And that's the vision that all my leaders and everybody that we have here has had for those youth. So that was amazing. And yeah, we can say stuff like that, but does God back it up? Does God see him that way? So, before I get into the scriptures, I want to talk about this dude in the Bible named Samuel. And I could be wrong. Again, this is going to be conjecture according to Sean. But I picture Samuel as like this old wise guy with a stick. Following God. Yep, gotcha. That's just me. And he shows up at this guy Jesse's house. Now, Jesse had 12 boys. I have three kids, and I don't have much color left in my hair, and my bald spot's growing. So I don't know, 12 boys, he's got to be like, just did never need a razor since he was, had his first, uh, I don't know, I don't know how you do 12 boys. Plus a smell? Oh. And Samuel goes in, and he's following, and God said, hey, go anoint the new king. I want you to anoint my next king. And so Samuel walks in, the first guy walks in, and again, this is a Conjecture, according to Sean. First boy probably walks in, what's up? And he's like, God, that's, I know that's your guy, man. Look at the muscles. And God's like, nah, not happening. And the next one comes in, and he's like GQ magazine style. He's probably got the glasses. I mean, he's ready to go. God's like, nope, don't want that either. And he goes through 11 boys. Now, at this point, it does say Samuel's like, I don't know what we're doing. In his head, he's probably like, God, did I, like, hit the wrong GPS address here? What are we doing? And he's looking around. He says, Jesse, you got any more? And Jesse's like, well, there's one dude. I got the youngest one out here tending, you know, doing farm stuff. He's like, all right, bring him. There's got to be a reason. Now, I don't know about you guys. If I fail 11 times, I mean, I don't know if I could get to 11 fails. but So let's go to 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, upon David, from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So guesstimating, David was about 14-ish. So he's a teen. He's right there in the middle of that youth group. And he just got anointed to be king. Guys tell me that God ain't looking at teens. David was a a guy after God's own heart. And he started by being anointed at 14 years old. Now, I'm looking at my youth group, and I've got quite a few 14-year-olds. 
And I'm sorry, guys, I love all of you, but I'm not handing any of it. And then I know the pastor's not going to walk over to one of them and go, all right, you're in charge, I'm out. But yet God does that because he can see their heart. We look at their countenance. We look at maybe the color in the hair. We look at maybe they have too much, not enough makeup, whatever. Their clothes may not be perfect. They may not fit right in. And God's looking at the heart. So that is a conviction that I have is that I need to be looking at the heart. And that is part of what I'm trying to convey. Now I got another reason why I work with the youth. And I'm going to give a touch on my testimony. It's my first time up here. My teens have heard it. Some of you guys have. But I grew up in Redding, California. And my dad passed away when I was 14 years old. And he was not a good man, so that wasn't, that's not the problem. The problem was I was raised in a Catholic school. So my freshman year of high school, I went to a school with 300 kids. After he passed, my mom couldn't afford that. So I went to a public school of 2,000. You want to talk about culture shock? Now, Catholic schools, I have nothing against them, but they're not all perfect, but when there's only 300, you're not going to have too many problems. When you got 2,000, you got room for more problems. So I was there two, three weeks-ish, and I got jumped. And I got beat up, well, kind of. Now, growing up, I had two older brothers who thought I was a punching bag. So I knew how to defend myself. I knew how to stand up for myself. And so I came out okay. But the problem was that got me friends. And so then I found a way to fit in. And I kept doing that lifestyle. Now, with sin will always take you farther than you want to go. And I always said, I won't go past this point. And then I did, and I won't go past this point. And then I did, and then I did, and then I did. Now, I don't know how many of you know Reading, but there are seven high schools in Reading. Remember that my story started out at the beginning of my freshman year, or sophomore year. By three-quarters of the way through my junior year, I'd been kicked out of all seven schools. Because sin will take you farther than you want to go. I was told by my own family if I was alive at 18, it'd be a miracle. If I was alive at 21, it's because I was in jail. That was who I was pre-God. But you know, that God looked down in that 3,000 or the 6 billion or whatever you want, and God says, I see you, and I want you. And so he put a beautiful woman in my life. And we got serious, and we ended up getting married. She's like the backbone of everything I do. And I remember being in our little two-bedroom apartment, and she told me, you're going to church. And I said, no, I'm not, as I'm standing there adjusting my tie. <laughs> she says, we're going. I'm, I'm not going, as we're walking out the door. Because <laughs> I was still trying to be Mr. Cool. And we went to a church, and we went for a couple months. Now, guys, God does not come up behind you and go, get right. Change now. I don't like who you are. Fix it. No. God sat in the back of my mind and says, I love you. I care for you. I see you. I can give you a happiness that you don't know. I can take your addictions. And it was January 13th, 1999, about 6.45 p.m. That's how real this is. That is stuck in my head. I might be off by a couple minutes, but it's really close. 
And that church did an ordinance service. Now, ordinance is very similar to the communion that we do. They just, they did a whole service around it instead of just handing it out. I have no clue what the pastor guy said. And I didn't really want nothing to do with these weird Christian people. I mean, you guys are weird. You smile, you're happy, you're shaking. I had nothing to do with any of that. And the only thing I remember he said is, if you're not right with God, do not partake of what's coming up. And then everybody turned around and knelt down in the pews. So I knelt down because I'm not going to be the only one sitting up. And I still got to be tough. So I told God, if you're real, prove it. Now let me throw out a little disclosure. Do not ever challenge God if you don't want an answer. (laughs) Just a heads up, not a good idea. God hit me in that pew. God lit me up in the words of you guys. I started bawling. I mean, it was gross, not flying. I was raised by a Texan. Men have two feelings, anger and happiness. Yeah, uh, it was a mess. But I felt a thousand pound weight come off of my shoulders. God took my addictions in that instant. Cleaned my mouth in that instant. Gave me a happiness that I didn't know existed in that instant. Because I opened my heart. Because God saw me with God's eyes. Now I want to take a look at one more picture. And this is like my favorite picture we're going to put up here. That is Ezra, my granddaughter. I'm sorry if you have grandchildren. They're not as cute. I apologize. I got the best. I'm the one with the mic. You can't argue with me. But what are they going to do for God? They can't talk. Well, she does occasionally, but they're not words. And I'm pretty sure I've been chewed out a few times. But (laughs) They can't really walk. They don't know the Bible. They're not out evangelizing. She's not like flying the baby flag that says Jesus loves you. God might see something. So let's take a look at 1 Timothy 2.15. I have way too many sticky notes. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So step one that a baby can do, and I've seen this multiple times, is it can help the mom and the dad, not leaving us out. Because suddenly it's not about them, it's about the baby too. So God uses that to change a family. I've seen it. I've experienced it. If you haven't had kids, there's no way for me to describe the moment I held my oldest son when I got handed him. The rest of you guys, I love all of you. It was amazing every time, but it was just that First initial, what in the world? I just met something, and I would literally go die for it. But God uses that. Now, I can't talk about babies without talking about the coolest one ever to exist after Ezra. So Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Guys, that's the coolest baby ever lived. God sent his son down to earth as a baby for us, for me. A baby came down to save me, to start that journey, to save each one of us. 
to save you guys at home. I apologize. First time up here, I forgot cameras there. That's what he does. He used a baby. That baby changed everything. Gave us a way out. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, which means I should die for everything I did, and yet God took it. That's how God's going to use a baby. Now I got a final challenge. Pretty sure all you amazing looking people looked at a mirror at some point today. You had to get your hair right, your fancy clothes, brush teeth, I hope. I want you to think back to that. What did you really see in that mirror? They're kind of funny looking. Too fat, too skinny, zits in the wrong place, nose is crooked, ears aren't right. How about did you see unloved, unworthy, forgotten, mistake? That's a big one. Was I a mistake? Let me ask, let's see what God thinks when he sees you. So let's go to Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him. Male and female created he them. He didn't just create Adam and Eve. He created you. He created me. He created every one of us. So where do we get the right to look in the mirror and say something's wrong? Because if you do that, you're telling God he made a mistake. And I'm sorry, guys, but somebody who can breathe the entire galaxy out of his mouth, pretty sure he didn't go, oops. We can't be above God. Your personality was put in you by God. Your talents were put in you by God. So how do we, how can we say it's bad? We can't. We have no right to that. And I struggle with this. I'm calling myself out right now. But how do we deal with that? Do we just, sorry God, I won't do it again. There's this dude, Paul, that wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament. And he gave us a prescription to deal with that. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 10, 5 and 6. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought in the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience and your obedience is fulfilled. It doesn't say you must do it. It doesn't say that when I get those thoughts, I have to be like, I've got this, I'm holding. It says, take them captive to Christ. Give them to God. And that doesn't mean the first time you do it, it's never going to happen again. It means that when it happened this morning, when I looked in the mirror and thought, man, you're a weird looking dude. I had to take it captive to Christ. And 20 minutes later, I got to do it again. And 20 minutes later, and build those pathways. Now, is that really easy to do? 
No, it takes practice. And it takes commitment. And it takes a challenge within yourself. But in order to be able to do that, you have to do the first step. So let's take a look at Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It does not say whatever Oregonian calls upon the name of the Lord. It doesn't say whatever Jew, whatever Greek, whatever Roman, whatever Californian, whosoever. That means every one of us. So your first step to get this and to get God's eyes is to call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. As I said earlier, he sent the baby down. He started it. God hung on the cross. Now, you can't fully see the cross above there, but you all know what a cross looks like. God hung on the cross for my sins and took them, that all I have to do is call upon his name and he will save me. So I don't know where everybody's walk is. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up and raise your hand and say, I'm a terrible person. That's not, that's between you and God. What I'm going to ask is that you look within yourself. Use your eyes, internal eyes. Are you where you need to be? Is there something between you and God? Guys, today, January 15th, I think it is. I took my watch off. Thank you. Appreciate that. I got a bunch of them heads up for me, so I'm not, I got that part right. You can look back, as I said on January 13th, 1999, that God touched me. You can say January 15th of 2023. Today can be your day. So we're going to have that opportunity. And I want you guys to really take that chance. Now, you don't have to say the prayer out loud. You can say it within your heart. God can still hear you. Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. But this can be your chance to make that change. So I'm going to lead us in just a really, really quick prayer. So if I can have everybody just close your eyes. So we're not staring at our neighbors and poking people. Dear Jesus, thank you for such a wonderful day. Thank you that you see me, that you love me, and that you know me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I say I'm sorry for those sins, Lord. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to make that change. Let me be one with you. Whatever it is between me and you, I let it go, and I let that change be done. I thank you, I love you, and I give my life to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you made that commitment... What I'm going to tell you is go find somebody who's praying for you and let them know. David's going to come up and close us out, and afterwards, 
we're going to have some prayer stations. And I'm going to have some of my leaders with my youth group. And if you guys want to be prayed over by the youth group, trust me, you're going to get lit up. The fire last night was unbelievable, and it's coming again. So we're going to have different sections. Just go up, tell them what you need. Thank you, guys. What a great look at the importance of not judging on the outside. You know, despite what we see in the media, you know, in the media, Christians are always portrayed as judgmental. Like, as soon as they show someone to be a Christian, they're like, oh, that's a bad judgmental person. In real life, I hardly ever have run across a judgmental Christian. But I have noticed if there's one area where we're judgmental, it's against ourselves. And I love that that message was about not viewing ourselves how we look on the outside. But God sees the inside, and each one of you is a child of God. And there's no limit to your potential in Christ. Amen? So thank you, Sean, for a great message about who we are in Christ. And especially important for the young people, but for all of us as well. All right, so he already prayed. I was going to close this out in prayer, but he already did that. So basically just did my job. Thanks. Okay, so let's have the teens come up. We're going to have four stations. And if you need prayer or just a blessing from God, please come up and let them have the chance to. You'll be doing them a favor by giving them a chance to bless you and the Holy Spirit. But we're going to officially dismiss. So I say go in the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit all week. Amen.